The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you. It's Cabinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. I'm back to life. Uh, it was a uh, it was a rough uh, six weeks of bronchitis. I found out, and I would I've been on um, an inhaler, and I did not go into work. And then I finally had a weekend, and I woke up, and I, I feel like almost normal. I just have you know thirty percent allergies, like always. So that's about as good as I'm gonna get. But I can talk, and I want to talk. Because I want to talk to Elliot Serrano, Chicago King of Geeks. Well, I'm glad that's the way you remember it. I mean, I remember me and a whole crew of folks had to go down to this planet and retrieve your body, which was suddenly, you know, regenerating uh, after that terrible, terrible incident where you died for a bit. Don't you remember saying that? I will always be your friend. Well, I remember having aromatic syndrome. Well, there you go. <laughs> But it wasn't really that, though. No, that was something true. else. <laughs> so we're gonna we're uh, we're just gonna get into Picard. I know this week was the season finale of Mandalorian. I enjoyed it. A lot of people thought this season was odd. Um, I I liked it. I thought the ending wasn't a big ending, but that was it. It was like okay, you fought Giancarlo Esposito again. You know, you Bonald Grogu again. Um, how'd you feel about Mandalorian before we get into it? It was, uh, it was, I'm telling you, if I had watched that when I was 13 and as a kid, I would have loved it. I would have been like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. You got flying stormtroopers. What? They fly now? They fly now. Because they're Boba Fett stormtroopers. Yeah, they're Boba Fett stormtroopers. You had all these, you know, all the stuff that when you were a kid, you would have loved doing with your action figures. Um, to me, I, I will say that the this season of The Mandalorian actually felt more like Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, and you I know. think that to its deficit because it was, it did what Booger Boba Fett did. It just went in a bunch of different directions. There was, you know, there was a lot of Bo Katan's story. Uh, there was not as much as Din Djarin's story. There was, um, there was that whole Andor light episode. Then there was the Jack Black Lizzo episode, which was uh, a Doctor Who episode. It was yeah. like a, it was a Capaldi Doctor Who episode. Yep, yep. Um, but I thought, I thought all of it was entertaining, but I didn't put a lot of weight on it. I do get fans not being happy with it, um, not just as you love to say the toxicity of social media, but I do get this is a very different show than it was in season one. Season one was a western. This is not. Well, this uh, is, yeah, this is them now setting up the sequel trilogy. I yeah. mean, Commandant Hux, come on, everybody. That was, that's, that's the equivalent of, you know, uh, uh, Captain Tarkin showing up, you know, way back when. And then, right. and, uh, and, uh, was it the Project, uh, I forgot what the, Project Necromancer. Okay, yes. we already know what that means, you know. So, right, there's a lot of trying. Well, it's try, I feel like it's trying to tie the sequel trilogy together. Yeah. First of all, um, trying to explain Rise of Skywalker, which the more I think about, the less I like. Uh, I, I feel like they're trying to retcon a story, retcon a plot behind it, so we don't just have somehow Palpatine returned. Uh, and also, we know now Dave Filoni is building towards a movie, which I think is going to be the Grand Admiral Thrawn movie, because just the little teases we've got 
I know there's there's uh, there's a quick shot of him in Ahsoka, but I think it's going to be like Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's going to be another tease, and they're going to save Thrawn for a movie because uh, Thrawn's a great character. And if you're in if you're into any of the other Star Wars media, any of the print media, you know who he is. He's probably the most important print character who's never been on on uh, live action screen. I know he was animated. Outside of Mara Jade. Yeah, I'd say even bigger than Mara Jade because I think Heir to the Empire, Heir to the Empire was such a big deal because it came out at a time when there was no Star Wars. Yes. So it it had a bigger impact. Mara Jade came out during the prequels. Um, no, 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 Mara, no, no, I'm sorry. Mara Jade was during, during the whole You're Mara absolutely Jade right. The, yeah. She's in the thing. And, and add to that, mind you, this was during, you had both uh, Dark Horse during the Dark Empire comic book series. Which was great. And then Timothy Tim's on writing, you know, the I mean, mind you, he created Mara Jade just like he created Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah, I I, I actually got Mara Jade confused with Aura Singh for a minute. Ah, there you go. Because right. Aura Singh was like a background character in Phantom Menace, who then right. had all of these stories around her. Yeah. That's how weak a Star Wars fan I am. Oh no, and that's how how nerdy I am. But uh, to the point though that I'm like kind of like, eh, you know, okay, it's great that they're bringing back Thrawn, but to me, the character I always cared for about. Uh, they cared most about in that uh, heir to the empire uh, trilogy was heir to the empire and, and so on. Um, was was Mara Jade, you know, the, yeah. the emperor's right hand? She'll be tough to do because she ends up being a love interest for Luke, and Mar- Mark Hamill's aged out. And unless they recast him in a solo, strange new worlds way, um, they you can't deep fake a major character now. I think Indiana Jones is going to be a big push, but man, uh, but uh. Not to jump towards Picard, but there is a DH scene in Picard. I'm like, okay, you got away with this as long as you could. It was about five minutes. Yeah. I don't think I don't think we're there to do a young Mark Hamill movie where you believe it's a human being. Well, you they recast him for for Mandalorian though. That was a different. But they deep faked his face. Was that really a deep fake? Yeah. Oh, okay. It, then it wasn't a great deep fake because it looked like somebody else. <laughs> and that's my me. point. We're not there yet. <laughs> so, so yeah. So yeah. If you want to talk about Mandalorian. I enjoyed it. I'll be back for another season. Um, but, you know, as I always say, like, the more I think about it, the more to me, Star Wars is two movies. When I was a kid, that were the most important thing in the world. And now it's almost all nostalgia for me. I'm like, well, I really love those two movies when I was a kid. So let me see what, what else they're doing in the world. Okay, they did that. And then I go about my day. Yeah, It's like, I'm 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 not as deep a fan today as you are, I think. Um, Indiana Jones, you and I go to depths uh, unplumbed by human man. <laughs> but yep. but Star Wars, I'm a little out, and uh, I I got to get into it. We got to start talking about Picard season three. Now we interviewed Doug Drexler about it, um, which we're both uh, very proud of. That was, a, if you haven't listened to that episode, you can watch it on YouTube now. Um, Caffeinated Comics, Doug Drexler fantastic interview what a great guy um obviously there was a lot he didn't want to spoil and man uh we recorded that in the middle of this season there was a lot he could have spoiled he could have and he kind of did for us i kind of remember i I can't remember if it was on air or off air when i asked him about are we seeing the enterprise again and he was like uh but wait did it wasn't there a trailer and i'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was with um by the way, deep, deep spoilers. If you 
have not seen Picard season three, it's probably already been spoiled for you because uh, social media has been holding back. If you haven't, honestly, it's kind of on you because it was five bucks to watch this season. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you, you needed to sign up for this. You could have been you could have been going like hearing about Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds and going maybe. But this is what you really need to be watching if you are if you are basically a Berman era fan of Star Trek. You know, in, in the same way we just mentioned that there, you know, there's a, a prequel trilogy era of Star Wars, an original trilogy era of Star Wars. There is a, you know, a Gene Roddenberry era and a Berman era and now a Paramount Plus era, I guess a, um, a Robert Kurt, uh, Kurtzman era. But uh, if you are a fan of the Berman era, man, you had to watch this. So, so Ellie, we haven't talked since it ended. We've been talking pretty much every week. How'd you feel on this final episode? Which we're going to spoil. We're going to spoil it, folks. So just, again, if you haven't watched it, I will say it, this is the level it got to. Because I'll tell you, up until this episode, or, well, the last episode, the penultimate episode in this one, it wasn't that hard to avoid spoilers on social media because I don't think Star Trek fandom was getting really out of hand like, oh, and Star Trek fandom is usually pretty respectful, yeah, and it's pretty calm compared to Star Wars, usually because there's not that much content, and there's not that many people into it. Right, and, it, and but Star Wars folks can't help but freaking posting everything the moment it happens, whereas it wasn't happening so much with Picard until <laughs> these last two episodes, yeah. and you will say the emotional temperature of Star Trek fandom was was understandably going up and things were getting hot. People wanted to talk about it. People wanted to give their takes and so on. Even I gave a take. Well, which- because it was it was genuinely exciting to fans. I watched these last two episodes at two in the morning each. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't know. Um, like I said, I've been sick for a while, so I haven't been sleeping well. But as I was tossing and turning, I looked up and I'm like, 2 a.m.? I think that episode's on. <laughs> and then I would sneak downstairs and just watch it in the pitch black silence. And I swear to God, at the end of episode nine, I just stood up and walked towards the screen because I could not believe what I was seeing and how perfectly they were doing it. Um, and again, this is your last chance to bail before the spoilers start. We'll hitting. talk to you next week. If you haven't seen it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, that the first, the I had, okay, I'm going to go back. I have to, I have to touch on Star Wars one last time before we get into this. But when The Force Awakens was coming out, um, was when they were doing the whole ramp up to it coming out, I was going through a very difficult time in my life. Um, I was in the middle of a separation, a divorce. Um, I was trying to help take care of my ex's in-laws. You know, my, my father-in-law was, um, was, um, going through, he had a open heart surgery and this is all as, you know, separating and all these things are going on. So I have a lot of emotion, you know, just I'm bottling it up, bottling it up, bottling it up. And then that force awakens trailer happens during Monday night football. And the Millennium Falcon appears for the first time. The dam burst at that point. I had to go into my, I had to go into the bedroom and I had to just sob for a while. It was like something happened. An emotional touchstone was hit and I just started sobbing like a little boy. I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. It was so much emotion going on. And that's, 
See, that was the thing was there was an emotional, there was an emotional reaction to that, something that had been so significant in my life when I was a kid, you know, just boom, it just, you know, it was the pin that pricked the bubble that blew everything up. So damn, when the Enterprise E shows up again, wait, it was the E, right? The D, no, the, the D, D, I'm sorry. Scary. There was there was Enterprise E's flying around. The E yes. was uh was the one they'd used in the movies from First Contact. For First Contact. And I love that ship. I kept that ship, but but man, in episode nine, yes, we see the Star Trek, the next generation series, Enterprise the D. The D, which even LaForge says, yeah, um, you can thank the prime directive that they didn't want to leave the dish on uh was it um Viridian three. Viridian three. Yeah. You know, you didn't want to leave that technology behind. Why do so, I know that? Yeah. So start, you know, the Federation gets it back and he started slowly, like, you know, restoring the Enterprise over the years, you know. And, um, but just seeing it and then seeing them on the bridge of the ship, that whole crew one more time on the bridge of that ship, it was the same thing. Mind you, I wasn't going through, you know, a divorce or anything or, you know, all this stuff. But still, it was like, wow. I, I, I'm telling you, I got emotional. And then, damn, when when that baby finally starts flying and they come to the rescue in that thing, oh, I, I'm telling you, the last, I want to say the last 15 minutes of episode, of the last uh, of the last episode, I'm like weeping the whole time. I mean, it's like, it's again, it's like uh, when uh, Luke Skywalker showed up at the, at the end of the second season of Mandalorian. It was like something I had been waiting for for so long finally happened. And it was more than just like uh, being entertained because essentially that's what it is. I mean, some people are going to go, oh, my God, why is this guy getting all emotional over a show or whatever? I'm like, but we, we, ought, we, we have to acknowledge that the reason these shows become so big and they make such an impact culturally um, in pop culture and in, in, in financially, the reason these shows make so much money, these movies make so much money is because they have such a deep resonance with people and certain things about those shows and those movies just hit us emotionally at our very core. Um, and yeah, and that's what happened. So, um, man, yeah, I, I'm telling I, you, I felt the same way. It, it really made me realize what a touchstone uh, next generation had been in my life. And uh, I mentioned it before, but for me, I mean, comparing it to star Wars star, I was five years old when star Wars came out. It's one of the, Maybe the first movie I remember seeing in a theater, it blew my whole world up. You know, I, I don't think before Star Wars for me, I think only, I think uh, Adam West Batman and the Muppets existed and there was nothing else. And then after I saw Star Wars, Star Wars is what got me to, to watch Star Trek because I was so obsessed with spaceships after seeing Star Wars that they would show the reruns on Channel 11 and I, and I would watch it and then... Um, my parents took me to the motion picture and I was uh, six and it was Star Trek, the motion picture. So I fell asleep, um, <laughs> which by the way, still do. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then I, I remember being 10 and it was um, the local theater, which I grew up in Rockaway beach, which was part of the city, but it's, you know, it's a beach community. There's not a lot. They had one small theater and that week they, they split it into two. And I went with my family and we went, we split up. It was the first time we'd ever seen separate movies at the same time. And my mom and my sister went to see Annie 
And my dad took me to Rathacon and he took me to Rathacon because I said, I don't want to see Annie. <laughs> and, you know, um, but I didn't feel one way or the other about Star Trek. But man, when Spock died, well, I just started watching the reruns every single night and I became obsessed. And then I, um, it made me realize now that I, I look back on it, Star Trek, the original series was this thing that I kind of loved by myself because for the most part, it was reruns and there'd be a movie every couple of years, but I didn't have anybody to talk about it with. Um, like it was something I was into. And at that point it was still fun to make fun of Trekkies. You know, we were still in the William Shatner hosting SNL, get a life, which by the way, written by Robert Smigel. So another <laughs> reason to like that sketch. Uh, and that sketch is still funny. It's still funny. It's so perfectly timed. Well, you have John Lovitz, Dana Carvey and Kevin Nealon nailing it. Phil Hartman. Yeah, I, great I tried, ref- I tried referencing that, 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 uh, that uh, skit uh, when I was moderating the captain's panel at Wizard World a few years back, and nobody liked that. <laughs> that makes me... Did they not remember it, or they were mad at it? I think it was, uh, I think Shatner got. didn't want to talk about it, and the crowd didn't want to, didn't want me to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it was Next Generation was something that just slowly grew on me, and I didn't realize how deep it was inside me until I watched this season, because. It, it became such a touchstone. As I was saying, original series, I was kind of alone. You know, um, I, I, I would have friends that would go with me. Actually, when I look back, every single Star Trek movie that came out, I went with a separate group of friends. And it, it positions me of like who was close to me at that point, where I was in my life. But there was a shift when Next Generation really started to take off. And I wasn't there for that. I watched... I be- I bailed at the middle of season one because it sucked, <laughs> and uh, I missed three and four. I missed Vegetables Worlds. I came back because I heard Leonard Nimoy was on it, and I was like, "Oh my god, the show's great!" And then I started buying the toys, and uh, went to Generations. Started watching Deep Space Nine. Started watching Voyager. Started working for a toy company which uh, made the toys, and it just. And I had people, contemporaries, to talk about Star Trek with. And it was this vital living thing. It wasn't this nostalgia thing that I was into. Like, I was into Star Trek at the same time I was into the Honeymooners. Nobody wanted to talk about the Honeymooners. (laughs) (laughs) The Honeymooners is is great. But you know what? Nobody wants to talk about the Marx Brothers either. I was going to say, we should have been friends back then. Because I would have talked to you about the Honeymooners. I know, but you were in Chicago when I was in New York. (laughs) Uh, We're making up for it. But, but... Next Generation, it just seemed to be this thing that just kept repeating and repeating in my life. Um, To the point, I mentioned this before, where um, there was an actress that I was really good friends with in the 90s. I haven't seen her since, but I follow her on social media, who has a small part in this. And every time I watch it, she plays the Trill Doctor, who, like, is working with Dr. Crusher. Oh, wow. But she was a, she did a lot of trauma movies. Uh, Her name is Tiffany Sheepus Tretta. She is married to one of the executive producers. But she's a great actress, and it's it's it was this heartwarming feeling every time I saw her on screen because she had made all these B movies. I was like, oh my god, you know, there's another personal memory that I can connect this show with, and it's been a, an odd spine of my life. So to see everyone come back, and my god, to see everyone come back in their seventies makes me realize that I'm in my fifties. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's. Know? Well, that's what that's what we're dealing with now, like with a lot of these shows, and it's uh, okay, right? The, we had the Star Wars uh, sequel trilogy where you had Hamill, 
Fisher and Ford come back there. They were, of course, older. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indy's coming back one last yeah. time. And he's well, seven. I think I think Indy's going to have a harder time now because now Indy's got to be better than this, which was not even on my radar because that's, an- <laughs> that's another goodbye to a beloved Gen X character. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, I, I think it's, it's hitting a lot of us, our age where we're, these are the characters that we grew up with that we loved. And I'll, I mean, um, if this ever happens, if they ever decide to, if they get past all the, um, the, um, stuff that's going on with JK Rowling and, and, and all, you know, there's been talk about, um, the, uh, uh, Harry Potter to Cursed Child being made into a movie and they want to bring back the whole cast from the films, you know, to, for one more go. That means that whole Harry Potter generation yeah. is going to be going through the same thing. Yeah, which as we know are millennials. And I used to talk about this years ago uh, about Star Trek was I realized uh, getting to know millennials that Next Generation was their Star Trek. They didn't care about Kirk and Spock, which is one reason I think the J.J. Abrams movies weren't bigger. Like the the first one was was a really interesting curiosity. They all the first two did well. Second one's got awful, and then the third one suffered for it. But I think it would have been more of a cultural phenomenon had millennials had a connection to those characters. They didn't. They cared about Picard, and I think that's why this is resonating. This is the first show in Paramount Plus to reach the top ten of streaming shows. You know, it was like number nine, and Mandalorian was number two. But it's the first time Paramount Plus, I think, has even been mentioned in terms of viewers. And they've had, as, as we know, a lot of Star Trek in the last five years. And it's because, I, well, let's let's be honest, though. They, this third season finally gave everybody what they were hoping would happen with Picard. Yeah, you, you know, what, and that's a great segue because um, not, I, I have very, the more I watch the season three, the more conflicted I feel about seasons one and two. How do you feel about the series as a whole now that it's done? I mean, season this is- one, I really liked. No, season one, I really enjoyed because it had to be its own thing. You know, it was, and I think what a lot of folks, as we look back on the Picard series, we're going to, a lot of folks are going to forget when this show came out. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> there are two series that came out during a very dark time yeah. <laughs> in America. There was Ted Lasso and Picard, and those shows hit the way they did because of the way things were going on in our country at that Lockdown point. happened during season one of Picard because I remember the first few episodes of Picard, uh, all the geeks would gather in the conference room at work to watch. Mm-hmm. And I remember having to, to text them all and be like, I guess you guys got to watch it on your own because it'll we're going to be home for the next three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never saw some of those guys again. Oh geez. So 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 that first season I'll always appreciate it for what it was. The second season, while it was kind of fun, I felt there was a little wheel spinning there. You know, if if I was saying, look, if you're just gonna give us if you're just gonna give us Star Trek, you know, like if you're gonna give us um classic Trek repackaged in the Picard, you know, whatever then fine. My only, my only criticism of season two at that point beyond that is that, you know, you're hitting the board yet again in another season. And it kind of, I think season three kind of undoes a lot of what season two set up. Yeah. And I really want to know, I probably, we probably won't, but I really want to know the behind the scenes story of season two, because season, I agree with you. Season one, Michael Chabon wrote and um, 
I think there's a lot of really interesting ideas there. I think it touches on a lot of stuff. There's there you're playing with three very different stories. And um the one thing, you know, there's the Exborg story, there's the Romulan story, and the Romulan um Exodus story, and then there's the Android story. And um I was really enjoying it until the last two episodes. I felt like it didn't quite pull them all together right. I was a little confused about um I thought the plot just got a little tangled up in itself. Uh, but I liked the heart of it. You know, there, there was the whole, um, like saying goodbye to data, like really got to me. And then season two, the more I think about season two, the less I like it because it started off being this mirror universe thing. And then they time travel back to modern day Los Angeles. I believe mostly so they could have little crews outside during lockdown. You know, they didn't have to trap everybody in a soundstage. So it was like, all right, Rafi and seven and nine are going to steal a police car. This episode, you know, uh, Picard is going to try to get into a gala. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> and then the last two episodes is like, oh no, it's all about this ancestor of Picard, which we didn't hear about till like episode eight. And I was like, what, the, what is this story? And then Gerardi becomes the Bulwark. Uh, But again, uh, and Gaius Baltar is Picard's abusive father, which is, but again, it the the plot became muddled. But that last scene where Q says goodbye to Picard, I was like, okay, it totally worked. And then they rushed off a bunch of the characters because they knew they weren't going to bring him back for season three. So they were like, ah, Rios is going to uh, stay stay here in the time. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. it's almost like Norm Macdonald pitched the last ten minutes of season two. Yeah, nah, he, <laughs> he stays there. Yeah, nah, nah, you go. Uh, uh, you're a Borg, and you're just like, ah, I'm burging around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, you could, you could feel them clearing the decks, but season two, it didn't, it almost didn't see what it wanted to do. And to jump way ahead, season three, the post credit scene of season three brings Q back. Yeah. Like, it like, does all that too. Like, they, yeah. like you said, so they kill off in season two, which Terry Metallus was a part of mm -hmm. that. That's what confuses me because they brought him on, but he didn't take over till season three. So I don't know if it was written and he was just helping the production. He definitely had say in some of the sets because he had them build the stargazer so he could use it as the Titan. And uh, he had them build the 10 forward bar. So then he would use it as the holodeck. There were a lot of sets built in season two that he got a lot of use out of in season three. But like to end season two with the Borg becoming friends with the Federation to just have a season three where the Borg Queen wants to kill Picard again. You know, it's like, it's one thing if it was like, okay, that happened on Voyager and we're forgetting about it. That happened two episodes ago. Mm -hmm. And we killed Q like 12 episodes ago. And Terry Metalis actually said that he shot that scene with Q after his last scene on season two. Mm. So like as John Delancey was leaving, Terry was like, can you shoot one more scene? It's going to be like real quick. So, so obviously there were decisions that Terry was not in charge of in season two that he was trying to undo. There's even a line that Shaw gives. It was like, I'm not talking about that bullshit Borg on the Starcaser. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> dude, that's your show. That's that last season of your show. But uh, this is a different show. Like everything about it from episode one is just completely different. And my God, it's balanced so well and timed so perfectly that it's one of those where Terry Terry Metalis is from New Jersey. He's a Gen Xer. You know, he worked his way up. He was Brandon Brock's assistant on Voyager and Enterprise. 
worked his way up. So he's a contemporary of ours. And, and at every turn I went, yeah, I wouldn't have come up with something that good. <laughs> just yeah. It just makes me realize, okay, that's why I became an advertising copywriter. <laughs> and I didn't become a showrunner because I'm not this good. Well, at the same time, I mean, let's be honest. You also, when you're a showrunner, you get to sit in a room with six other really good writers and you're all, you're all spitballing back and forth. So while your name gets to be on that, that screen credit, that was the result of working with a lot of people. So give yourself a little credit there too. And working with a lot of people to go back to our conversation with Doug Drexler, it just seemed like everybody put 110% in it. You know, even Patrick Stewart, who, when he started this show said, I do not want to do a next generation reunion for two seasons. He said, I do not want to do a next generation reunion. He had a dinner with the entire cast to break it to them before season one. Like, he's like, I don't want you to hear it coming from somewhere else, but I am doing a Star Trek show and you guys aren't in it. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, all of them were surprised that they yeah. were finally asked to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Frakes, uh, you know, Jonathan Frakes and uh, Marina Sirtis had one episode in season one. And Frakes directed uh, a few episodes of each season. But of course, Frakes directs a lot of Discovery mm -hmm. and Strange New Worlds. So the fact that that this season was a complete turnaround, it was all about Cherry Metallis. It's like you, we have to, we have to give you a finale because Nemesis was not it. It was, um, yeah, it was a part parts Wrath of Khan, parts uh, uh, Undiscovered Country. That ending really felt like Undiscovered Country to me. And then, of course, pull in a pull in a little bit of best. Of, I'm sorry, of, of all good things. Um, Oh, the the scene at the end when they're when they're playing cards, yeah, when they're pl playing cards. Run. They said also, they let the cameras run for forty five minutes, and just like you seven, just play cards, and they just captured it because Terry wanted to get the the real relationship between the seven of them. Yep, it was wonderful. It was like, oh my goodness, that was like there are two there are two shows that I love where the the characters play cards, and I would love watching them play cards. Star Trek. And the West Wing, both shows hmm. had them playing cards. I, go, I love, I love, I care so much about these characters. I'm willing to sit and just watch them play cards. Right. And that, and honestly, that was part of the beauty of Next Generation. I, uh, it's probably, probably my biggest comfort food show. And I never say, uh, I never, I don't really consider myself a Trekkie. I don't, uh, uh, my life doesn't revolve around Star Trek. If I had to rank all my favorite sci-fi things, it'd probably be like number five. But but there is a comfort to it. There's something about it that I just love that nothing else touches. And if you go back to the next generation, that show got into such a comfortable groove and it knew its fans were with it, no matter what it did, that they would have 10 minutes where not a goddamn thing happened on that ship. They would have an act break of somebody to go get tea. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's like, you know, that like every commercial is supposed to be your cliffhanger to keep people from changing the channel. And Star Trek Next Generation was like, you're not changing the channel. <laughs> you're going to watch Data feed his cat. <laughs> and and the fans are like, yeah. But because of that, that show breeds in a way that um, even the other shows I love, like Deep Space Nine, don't quite breathe that way because it, it's it's relaxed. So you know those characters in a way because you really do feel like you live with them. And this season gave it the time. That's one of the things Terry Metallus said. It was like, if we had done a final movie, it would have been two hours, but this was 10. So we could really like stretch out. Oh, by the way, since you bring up data feeding his cat. Yeah. 
wasn't that the most brilliant bit from when Data and Lore are having it out inside of his head? Yes. And the, 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 the thing that tips the scale is Data giving him the memories of Spot. Yep. I'm, I'm telling you, I was like, oh, man, okay. This show is doing everything it can to hit me in the feels right now. Everything. And everything made sense. There were no Easter eggs for Easter eggs' sake. Uh, like, I, it really hit me when Ensign Rose shows up for one episode. Mm-hmm. Because it's not an Easter egg. It's not a celebrity cameo. It makes complete sense to that story. And then it brings in this whole subplot that you never really considered. Of like, oh, Picard would still be bitter that she joined the Maquis. And she would still resent him for setting a bar she couldn't live up to. And it's like, you know, I remember seeing Preemptive Strike when it aired. And at the time I was like, all right, next one's the series finale and just kind of filed it, you know? I was like, that one's done. Okay, we got rid of Ensign Row because we're ending the series. We're not going to use her again. And famously behind the scenes, Ensign Row was supposed to be Kira Norris, and negotiations broke down. And she decided not to do it. And obviously, Michelle Forbes has had a great career without going back to Star Trek. But um, Nana Visitor's character was created to fill the hole that Michelle Forbes left by not doing the show. So Preemptive Strike was a way of kind of clearing the decks of that character and tying her up. To bring her back in this with so much baggage and so much history, it just gave such depth to it. That was when I was like, okay, everything's going to matter well, that's that was some, that's something that a Star Trek novelist would have written. You know, they would have read, oh, wait a minute. You know, they forgot about this in the show. Yeah. I'm going to pull this in. We're going to write a, a novel about it where I can let it really breathe, you know. Peter David all- had a whole second non-comic book career doing that with Star Trek. Right. So, like created a ship of cast off Next Generation characters. Yeah. And then and then the, the writer's room said, hey, we... We should be doing that. We should be coming in. Since, yes, since we're pretty much sending everything off, let's start pulling all the things in that we can. I mean, when you have, the only one, the only thing missing was the Janeway cameo. Yes, and they, Terry Toss wanted that to happen, Um, especially at the end when, when Tuvok is promoting 7 to 9 to Captain. Like, you really felt like that door should open and Kate Mulgrew mm-hmm. should walk in and she should do it. And we know Kate Mulgrew is a part of Prodigy, so it's not like she doesn't want to be part of Star Trek. But from what I'm reading, bet- what Terry Metalis is saying between the lines, building the bridge of the D was so expensive. And they only shot on it for two days that they had to cut corners with cameos. Mm. You know, it. I also felt in that final scene where they're back in 10 forward. Like there's a line LeVar Burton says where it's like Guinan's giving us the side eye. And I'm like, you can't have Whoopi like, like yeah. you can't, you can't have Whoopi. Whoopi's in season two. You know, Patrick Stewart was on the view, asked Whoopi to be in season two and she cried, but they could not afford her for season three. Like, but, but you brought Shelby back. <laughs> you brought, yeah, Elizabeth Denny, you brought back. And wow, that, that's Relevant. stunning. And oh, what, 10 seconds, her. 15 seconds? Yeah. Oh, and that was brutal the way they kill her. Shot her brutal. twice in the chest. And by the way, Shelby was brought in in Best of Both Worlds to be an expert on the board. And her idea is like, let's make all our ships a collective. That won't shoot me in the chest. 
But what did they say was uh, was it Admiral Shelby or was it Captain Shelby? It was, I she was an Admiral, yeah. Admiral Shelby. Because she was rising through the ranks so fast. Yeah. Where Riker tapped out at Captain and became a family man. Yeah. She, she did shoot right past him because that's you forget about that when you watch Best of Both Worlds, you're only thinking about Lacutus, which obviously is is a major one of the major points in Next Generation history because not only did it did those episodes turn around the perception of the show and make it a, a hit, but you know we had an entire movie about it. We had a great postscript episode about it. Then we had a whole movie about it. And then we have this plot revolves around it. But then also that's the subplot in that is Shelby trying to take Riker's job. You know, and a lot of people at the time, unfortunately, this was, I don't know about you. This was during the time I wasn't watching the show. Well, I was watching the show then. Yeah. So, but I've always heard there was a feeling that Patrick Stewart wasn't going to come back. And that there was a good chance that it was going to become Riker as Captain Shelby as first officer. Is that were you thinking that at the time? No, no, I thought uh, because they're also talking about well, they referenced too. Although you know, you, you're going to be the captain of the Titan. You know, like way back when they were still always saying that, and it's like, oh, okay. But of course, um, I always thought, you know, Riker Riker's place is on the Enterprise. And I, I mean, oh, mind you, this is also before you have a lot of the, you didn't have social media being what it was, where you could hear all that stuff. Going no, you down. had fanzines. That was about it. Yeah, fanzines. So, and I you didn't even have a lot of comic book stores. So, no. you didn't even have a place you could go where people were talking about it all day. So, I remember going, but I mean, at that time, I remember going, this is the show. The show has now hit its stride. They would be, a, they would be fools, fools, I say. To mess with this this formula right now, <laughs> so I no, but no, I never really heard anything about that. Okay, yeah, but that that was such a linchpin, and unfortunately, like by the time, like I said, I think Leonard Nimoy appears in season five, and uh, I can't, because it was when Star Trek one was about to come. Out. Star Trek six, I'm sorry, Star Trek one was you know I'm six years old. The undiscovered asleep. country, yeah. yeah, the undiscovered country was about to release, so it was really cross promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was when that was when I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch it because I'm excited about Star Trek Six. And I was like, wow, the show got great. And then I became a fan. Uh, that episode, by the way, oddly has Stephen Root in it, who's now on Barry as a Klingon. Oh, I, 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 Stephen Root pops up everywhere. Stephen hey. Root is always working. I I always think of him as Mr. James. From news radio, Jimmy James, the man Jimmy so James. nice, they named me twice, <laughs> and uh, which was named after a Beastie Boys song about Jimi Hendrix. Oh, uh, well, and then he was uh, on uh, King of the Hill, um, he was Bill, Bill, yeah. which by the way, they're bringing back. Yes, yes, now they, um, speaking of Paramount Plus, season two of Beeves and Butthead is coming out now, which uh, I love season one, I watched the first couple episodes. Of season two, I liked them. I didn't love them as much as season one, but I'm I'm assuming there's some great ones coming. I think they're going to switch over to King of the Hill after this season. I think this is going to be probably it for Beavis and Butthead. But that one, uh, that one has more legs. I think there's more you can do with with uh, King of the Hill. Yeah, yeah, but the uh, yeah Beavis and Butthead are, are are a slapstick scenario, and it's like it's great to see them again, but they don't they can't sustain stories. Yeah. You know, King of the Hill ran for I think thirteen seasons. Yeah, no, and, I, and and I remember really liking King of the Hill from the very beginning. It took me a while to get into Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. I, I was into Beavis and Butthead right away, and and I noticed it getting better as it went on. I noticed the writing was getting better. Uh, with King of the Hill, 
I loved it. It was something that was always on the background. And I felt like my Sunday nights, and I don't want to get too far away from Star Trek, but my Sunday nights revolved around the Simpsons and the X-Files. Mm-hmm. And then the shows in between would kind of come and go. And there would mm-hmm. be like some, sometimes it would be King of the Hill in there. And sometimes it'd be Futurama. And sometimes it'd be Malcolm in the middle. And I would watch all those, but I always felt like every now and then they would move and then I would lose track of them. But I would always watch the Simpsons and the X-Files. Uh, but King of the Hill was a backbone. Actually, after I saw last season's Beavis and Butthead, I start, um, King of the Hill is all on Hulu. And I've been watching it again for the last year. Man, it holds up really, really well. So uh, I'm, I'm, I will be there because I think, I think it's Hulu is getting it. But, you know, to go back to things that were big in the 90s. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. The thing I keep thinking about with this is the the, the term fan service keeps rolling around in my head. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, because that, that's got to you, you got to you got to address that, because I think that would be if there is a criticism of this last episode, that would be it. See, I don't see. I don't think it is. The more I think about it, I was like, this isn't fan service. This is character service because fan service is what do you fans want to see? We'll make it happen. And force awakens is a lot of that. I like force awakens, but there's a lot of, Hey, let's do the death star. You know, Hey, let's do, you know, Hey, let's show a desert planet. Um, Not everything has a really strong reason for being there with this. It's like, what makes the most sense for this character in this period of time? You know, like Worf adopting Zen makes so much sense. You know, uh, I love the idea of Beverly quitting Starfleet and just disappearing for 20 years. And they don't know, they don't know what happened to her. She just drops off the map. You find out why. But I, I love, I love that. We always assume that, you know, Riker and Troy just stayed on the Titan. And we know what happened to their kids in season one. But uh, Jordy running the Fleet Museum. Man, that's, it's inspired and right it's just totally totally right it's not jammed in to fit okay we gotta have the fleet museum who's gonna be in the fleet museum we can get lavar back it's like this makes the most sense for where geordie would be and the fact that they have to go there serves the story um the the what were the couple scenes there well and of course then you had um lavar burton's daughters daughter showing up yeah on the show yeah one of which is his actual daughter yes but one is actual daughter but and then if you watch uh, again if you ever been watching ready room where they interview them all three together yeah lavar his daughter and the actress who plays his daughter all together that she's already been like adopted into the family they got her over for thanksgiving for thanksgiving right um so some people might say that was very fit okay the only f- i would have said it stepped way into fan service had Will Wheaton just showed up at the last moment. Like he did in season two. Like he did in, yes. Where he's the doctor now. Yeah, pretty much. He appears to Soji and he goes, I'm the doctor and you're my companion. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you never see him again. Nope. There are rumors that because he's the traveler and he's outside of time and space, he's basically, he's, he's, he's a Q now, basically. That um, there are rumors that all the shows were going to do a Will Wheaton crossover. But also, yeah. Will Wheaton's not an actor anymore. And you, if you hear his story, uh, he never wanted to be an actor, and he likes being a presenter and a writer. So when he shows up in season two, he's like, he's like, "Welcome to the Traveler. I'm your host, Will Wheaton." <laughs> <It's> 
Well, there was a there was a ready room where he interviews Alex Kurtzman, and Kurtzman is saying, "Well, you know, everyone wants you on their show." You know, the, when it was talking, yeah. when he was talking about all the different shows, and you're right, I I have a feeling that that's going to happen at some point because they mm -hmm. did say there's going to be a they want to cross over the shows. Well, we are getting a Lower Deck Strange World crossover yeah. this season, but you know, there's going to be more than that. You know, they're yeah. they're going to figure out other ways of doing it. I wouldn't be surprised if with this uh, Lower Deck uh, Strange New Worlds uh, crossover that uh, the Traveler doesn't just happen to show up. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sure that actor isn't oh. there. He was already bald. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about, no, I'm talking about Will Wheaton. I mean, you know, oh, Will, I, yeah. I would say like, the Will, I would love to see the cartoon version of Will Wheaton show up on, on, uh, on Lower Decks. Yeah. yeah. And Prodigy. Yep. Yep. If we're, if we're doing them all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could I could just see that that being a connective tissue. The only thing that that hold the only thing that holds that crossover back, unless you make it an event like special, you're gonna have to wait a year for all the appearances because the shows come out one at a time. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, here's the Will Wheaton episode. In six months, we'll see the Will Wheaton episode of this other series. The only thing I will say about fan service, and I just bought it because I just bought it, was like at the end of season one, Brent Spiner said, I will never play data again. I am too old. And then they're like, well, you got to be data again. And he's like, but I'm too old. And the end, the in-universe suggestion is we built an old data. <laughs> it made sense though. I mean, after, from Picard, I buy one, it. <laughs> it's like, they didn't build a young Picard. They built an old Picard. So I was like, okay, that was clever. Now, and, and Brent Spider doesn't have to sit in that goddamn makeup chair for Yeah, hours. they didn't even make him yellow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I was like, okay, I get that you can't be skinny anymore. And the de-aging in season one's a little spotty. Because it's like, he was smooth, but his head was way wider than it used to yes. be. Yes. <laughs> uh, with with like this, mine. it was like, I feel like Brent's like, I'm not going to be yellow. <laughs> no. but, He's like, I'll put the contacts in, but that's it. But I, but I did love... Brent's portrayal when yes. of uh unified data. Yes. Cause I realized after that, I was like, this is a new character and you could see little things where there's, there's a scene at the very, very end where um he's got a, he's has therapy with Yana Troy and it's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> but there's a little head move he does where, and it's in the middle of a line. It's not very important, but I went, I went, What's that? That's not a data move. And then I went, that's a lore move. It's a lore move, yeah. Where he's just, he's incorporating the bits of the different characters he did. And, you know, this five Sung brothers mm -hmm. <laughs> over this over series. But he just synthesized it into this very, he became very empathetic and very like emotionally fluid in a way, in the opposite way than he was in Generations. In Generations, he was very much like, I have an angry feeling and I don't know what to do. I have a happy feeling and I don't know what to do. This was like he was a, he was just able to ride that wave, and it he was he had a depth that he never had before. I think that was also better, just better writing uh, as well. And also, I think Brent Spiner, uh, growing as an actor, as portraying the character, probably feeling a little more freedom with it. You know, I remember that whole bit. Remember in Generations when they blow up the you know the the Klingon ship, and he does a yes bit yeah. that. In the theater, everyone like cheered, but when you look at it now, it's kind of eh. it's an eye roll. Yeah, yeah, oh, especially because he holds it for the cheer. And when yeah. you watch it at home alone, you're like, "All right, all right." right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Put your put your fist down now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then this one, it was, but it was a similar moment when he's flying the the Enterprise through the Borg ship, and and uh, Deanna goes, "Wait, I'm sensing. Why am I sensing joy right now?" Just just the look on Spiner's face. You're like, "Okay, see this. This scene works." The and the best joke I've ever heard from Data ever is when he and Jordy are in the shuttle. And he's saying like he's saying like the odds are so against them, and Jordy's like Data, why don't you be positive? And Data goes, I hope we die quickly. <laughs> <laughs> like that is a great Data joke. And yeah. I was watching it with uh, Sebastian, who I'm proud to say is a full blown Trekkie, and I have seen him in school have arguments with his friends wearing Star Wars T-shirts. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, he hates Star Wars now. He likes Star Trek that much. Where he's like, he goes, he goes, he's like, why did Data say that? And I was like, because Jordy said be positive. He's like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> he has stolen my Playmates action figures. He's one of the, he has created a comic, a nine-year-old comic um, called the Colorado Class. Oh, wow. Where uh, Starfleet is fighting their nemesis, Starfight. And oh, wow. there is a, uh, a Gorn that's been Borgified called the Bogorn. <laughs> Is and the there Bjorn? is a cat that they call Captain because it sounds like Captain. Oh, geez. It's all in one comic. And I'm like, go, just keep going. Keep just, going. Keep going. Just keep doing it. Uh, the, 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 oh, my God. But did freaks have all the best straight lines to, to freaking wharf? I'd be honored to join you in a threesome. Are you, do you know what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think that uh, it, it helps that. I feel like Frakes is owning who he is because the last, the last five, 10 years or so, like Rikers become this huge meme in a way that um, Picard was, but you, you figure data would be the meme or Worf would be the meme. There's a Worf denied supercut, but it seems like there are so many gifts and memes of Riker. Like people, people are just discovering how awesome Riker is. And I think, you know, Frakes has always been a part of Star Trek. For, obviously, he's directing a lot. He was in Lower Decks. Um, you know, he'll he loves to talk about it. He'll come on Ready Room. But I felt like this season he was owning it. Like I think Terry Metalis figured that out too. And Terry Metalis has said in interviews, one of the missteps of the movies was that they became the Picard Data Show. And it's like those were the two most popular characters. You can certainly see First Contact. They're the two that are on the that are on the the poster. And Frakes is directing, so he's fine taking a secondary role, but he's like, but Terry Mattel said it wasn't that way on the show. Like Picard and data didn't hang out on the show. You know, Jordy and data hung out on the show. Uh-huh. And if Picard, you know, Picard confided in Troy as Picard confided in Troy as a therapist, he had an on again, off again relationship with crusher, but he, if he was close friends with anybody, it was Riker. And mm-hmm. I love that the first season builds that up. And we're like, we're getting Riker episode one. Like, he they so carefully doled out the characters that like we're in episode six before we seen we see Jordy and I was getting very impatient and I was like we've seen everybody but Jordy where is Jordy <laughs> but then when you look back you're like it made sense to wait till this moment mm-hmm. and you have probably some of the best performances I mean because of course you have these characters these actors that have played these characters for so long yeah and they just step right back into them and I'm, I'm, I'm Riker's speech when he talks about the death of his son and seeing 
like being out at, in the frontier space and and saying I've seen I've been out here I've been to the vast expanse and I've seen nothing. It's like like his total faith in everything is gone at that point. And I remember yeah. going that is one of the most heartbreaking uh, scenes I've ever seen from a freaking science fiction show. You know, and from a guy from a guy who uh, in season one said he was scared to act again because he hadn't done it in decades. Mm-hmm. He's great in this. He's he's so good. And even like the only times I thought he was a little little less real, I realized was the episodes he was directing. I was like, okay, this his attention is divided. Yeah. When another director came in, he was right on point again. And I was like, yeah, he needed somebody to guide his performance because he he wasn't so experienced anymore that he would do it himself. But yeah, it the fact that we see more of Riker than any other character. And this besides Picard. And and it's we, you know, it's Picard season three just because there was already a show called Picard. But it's an ensemble in this. It, you know, it's not Picard and everyone's a secondary character, the way it was even in the movies, which it, it could have been. Like every character has has their moments. Like you've never seen Dr. Crusher do this much ever. That oh. That bit at the end where she's firing the weapons and the phasers and she's like blowing up everything in the Borg and everyone turns back and looks at her like, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> says, oh, it's been a, 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 you, a lot's happened the past 20 years. <laughs> and that's, that's such a nice theme about it. It was something that, so one of the things that intrigued me about uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I'm hoping Tyler Destiny will do better. It's like, okay, we've jumped ahead these 20 years, but things that have happened in that 20 years would have affected him. And just little little things like that. My favorite my favorite inside joke is uh, which I hope they never explain is when they when they're gonna take the Enterprise D and Jordy goes, Well, we can't use the E, and everybody looks at Worf and, and Worf just goes, That was not my fault. And <laughs> I hope we never find out what happens. <laughs> I know it's it's like I was. I wanted to go. Is that like a? I thought that was like a production studio thing or referencing something behind the scenes. But no, know. the the only thing I can think of is I read that the uh, the novel, the Picard novel, the the Last Best Hope, which was uh, which filled in the the space between Nemesis and season one, and it was a book I really liked. I think it was, God, was it Diane Duane? No, I don't. I think so. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather just not say the author than misread the author. It was a good book, but it explains that Picard left the E to run the Romulan Exodus, and uh, Worf became captain of the E. So if that book is canon, Worf became the captain of the E and blew it up. <laughs> uh, Una McCormick. Una McCormick, thank you. She wrote a few, she's written a few Star Trek books. I thought it was uh, really interesting. It was entertaining. I listened to the audiobook. And I'm not a big uh, Star Trek book guy. There's too many. I, just, I want to say the IDW comics, I think even uh, Data becomes the captain of the Enterprise at some point. Well, I, I believe the IDW comics, and I don't want to get too far off point, but I, I think the IDW comics turned B4 into Data. And when Picard season one happened, we know that's not canon at all. Okay. So I think like in, in the IDW comics, it was like before uploaded all of data and now he was just data again. Oh, okay. Whereas in Picard, they say uh, uh, before was so simple that data crashed his system, right. system and then right. they put him in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know what, uh, what's left, man. I mean, uh, what's left to, to, to look forward to with, uh, with, I mean, that's it, right? That's it for next gen. I mean, that we've, that's well, I don't it. know. I really feel riding like off into the sunset. That yeah. last five minutes pushed very hard on a Star Trek legacy spinoff. I mean, there was so much time given to, you know, um, Jack is part of the crew. Seven is the captain. Okay. Raffy is the first officer. They're going out on a mission. The Titan is now the enterprise. It's like, I, I felt like that. I felt like Terry was pitching the show to the audience so the audience, and this is happening, so the audience is would start uh, petitioning Paramount Plus to hire him to do a Star Trek Legacy show. Let me give my, since you bring up Jack, let me give you my one nitpick about the last episode. The biggest issue I have, my, you, the, the emotional send-off and things happen because they had to happen for plot sake, whatever. But Jack Crusher can suck a bag of dicks, okay? <laughs> I like Jack Crusher. Yeah, he goes running off to the board. For God knows what oh, fucking yeah, that reason. Was, that was dumb. Okay. And then plugs it, plunks his own ass into the board. And the next thing you know, is the one pretty much killing everybody. I mean, yes, it's it's the parallel to what happened with Locutus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with Picard at the Battle of Wolf 5. Uh, Wolf 359. Uh, and oh my God, not to derail you, but the speech Shaw gives in the in in the holodeck where he where he goes for he, he walks in and goes i'm all at a lot of painkillers yep <laughs> because, oh, because uh, it's not befitting of a captain what he does but uh, man uh, he tears i mean picard's heard this a lot we've seen people throw lacutus in picard's face again and again the drumhead was an episode where that happens uh first contact that happens but man it's uh the first uh the first episode of deep space nine you know, yes. Cisco does that to Picard. Yeah. But we've seen Picard face Lacutus, but he is slapped in the face with it so hard. And obviously, it's to set up what happens to Jack later. Right. So anyway, but uh, Jack can suck a bag of dicks. Uh, the, I, I, although uh, I'm, I'm sure we brought this up in in the previous episode, but I, I love the fact that Shaw was named for Robert Shaw in Jaws. Yeah. And that speech was his Indianapolis speech. You know, that's, yes. you know, that's the, the doll's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, oh God, can I tell you? And I, I knew I was going to end up loving his character. But I, I did. was shocked. I, I, it happened quickly by like second, third episode. Cause like, you know, the first episode, you're like, what a dick. And I had never seen uh, Todd Shashwick in anything before. Um, this season has given me so recommend so many recommendations about Terry Metalis's Twelve Monkeys. Uh, makes me think, and it's on Hulu. Makes me think I should go back and see it because apparently a lot of the cast is in this. Like a lot of the friends of his, where he was like, "I'll give you the Ferengi is in Twelve Monkeys," and um, so he was giving a lot of his friends parts again. But man, Todd Touchwick nails it so hard that there is a petition to bring him back to life. Yeah. For the Star Trek legacy. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's set up to be an obstacle and die. And it was, in, let's say, I was there going, I, I, I hate him so much. I, I'm afraid I'm going to end up liking him at the end. And God damn it, if they didn't do that. <laughs> well, if you go back and if you go back and look at it, he doesn't make any bad decisions. He's just mean to people we love. <laughs> I mean, 
It's true. Like if they listened to him, a lot of the shit that happened to them never would have happened. Yeah. Well, well, you put yourself in Captain Shaw's position. Okay. (laughs) You have a first officer who wants to be called a Borg name. (laughs) When Wolf 359 is the most traumatic thing in your entire life. Then she brings on these two old guys, the Statler and Waldorf from Starfleet. (laughs) Who, who steal your ship take it outside of Federation space and then pick a fight with some changelings <laughs> and get, get some of your crew killed. Yeah. Yeah. And he knew that was going to happen. He knew that that was their MO. He knew that, okay, you're not coming on here and you're not going to start pulling this shit. No, no, no. It was like, it's like the, um, it's like when you have that character in a sitcom that's incredibly self-aware and they know that all the characters around them are idiots. Yes. You know, it's yes. like he knew he, he was like that. He was like the writer, like the, the Star Trek fan who knows, man, all, that shit always happens when they show up. That's yeah. not, I'm not letting any of that happen. But I also <laughs> love that perspective because growing up, I had always thought of the next generation as being the rational crew. <laughs> Because I grew up with William Shatner as James T. Kirk, who would who would scream in an alien's face, talk a computer into suicide, <laughs> and then fuck all the alien women without a condom. So Picard seemed like the home advisory board <laughs> of Starfleet. And then we're and then we're there when Shaw's like Oh, you mean that time you created a time paradox and almost wiped out everybody in the Devron system? Or the time you threw away the prime directive so you could make out with Dr. Octopus's wife? (laughs) And he's like, like, oh yeah, these guys fuck around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 I'm pouring out a 40 for my boy. Yeah. (laughs) So, So good. But man, this... I'll tell you to wrap up. We're at an hour and I could talk about this show. I could, we, we could start another podcast. Um, we don't need to, <laughs> we could start a video <laughs> podcast going through all those Star Trek. Now I'm so energized. I, Oh, my greatest thing in the world. I'm just, I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but thematically I needed an enterprise D after last week, real bad. And I have sold uh, the diamond select one, which now goes for almost $300. Wow. Um, and sadly I sold it cause it was so goddamn big. I kept, I kept like my uh, original series enterprise, my wrath of Khan enterprise. Um, I kept an Excelsior. I kept the bird of prey, but the D I sold and I regretted it. So I was like, where can I get a good D? And I found a Bluetooth speaker on Amazon. That's the entire D. Oh, nice. It's. And it makes all the sounds. Incoming transmission. And it Bluetooths. And uh, all I did for an hour was just go on Spotify on my phone and play the Next Generation theme over and over and over again. (laughs) And then I went on YouTube and found a 12-hour warp core sound and just played it out of here. And then to fuck everybody up, I played Sanford and Son. (laughs) (laughs) Just walked around the house with the Enterprise D going... Didn't explain it to anybody. They didn't want to talk to me about it. But um, this thing is, uh, I, I got it on Amazon, one day shipping for uh, 70 bucks. And it is a small company that makes Bluetooth speakers. I'm trying to remember the name, uh, Fame Tech. But they also make a board cube. 
that lights up. Um, and just to just to show you how um, Next Generation has become the center, they don't make an original series one. Oh. You know, they don't they don't make Voyager. Just they don't make the E. They just make the Enterprise D because that's the iconic one. And uh, nobody likes the fat one. Nobody likes the fat one. <laughs> and honestly, when they said that, I was like, yeah, I don't like the fat one. I like the first contact one. That one's badass. But man, I missed and missed and missed the galaxy class for 10 weeks. And I was like, I need it back. Uh, the, that sigh. Yeah, you should get one of these. It's like 70 bucks. It's, it's a really good sounding Bluetooth speaker, too, if you need a Bluetooth speaker. Well, I have already have a Millennium Falcon Bluetooth speaker. Okay, that makes sense. And a PB-8 Bluetooth speaker. I have, <laughs> I have a giant Grogu uh, Bluetooth speaker that my my sister got me for my birthday. So at this point, Christmas. they're talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so that side wasn't, oh, I need to spend money. That side was like, I don't need a fifth Bluetooth speaker. Yes, pretty much. Like, I, oh, God. I have, um, yeah, Jill Jill has a suction cup one that fits in the shower. That's the only one we had because she doesn't want to bring her phone into the shower. Yeah, that's smart. I've been meaning to put one in the shower myself. Yeah. Uh, why don't you put the Millennium Falcon there? Well, the BB-8 would fit in there. BB-8. I mean, yeah, BB-8 is probably the lowest hanging fruit at this point. Yeah. BB-8 is so 2015. So, um, yeah, I would ask if you're going to watch this again, but uh, uh, I got to be honest. I'm on episode six again. I I am so in love with this show that tomorrow night, uh, the plug for MCU review, we're going to do Avengers Endgame. And I have not watched Avengers Endgame today. <laughs> I was like, I can watch Avengers Endgame or four episodes of Picard again. Guess what choice I made. Uh, I've watched Avengers Endgame so many times right now. I can recite the script. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I had that this, this morning. I put it on and I was like, okay, I know. We got skinny Tony Stark, but I forgot what Rose said. <laughs> but man, if you don't at Paramount Plus, get Paramount Plus. Uh, it is absolutely worth it. I think this show is so important that I think it's even worth owning. So when the Blu-ray comes out, I might be tempted to get it just in case someday I stop subscribing to Paramount Plus. No. And then a strange new worlds is coming back in June. Um, and there's nothing in between. And I believe after strange new worlds will be lower deck season four. Yeah. And then the uh, discovery comes back next year for its final season. Yep. We are absolutely, we are uh, officially getting a Starfleet Academy show, which I'm like, I don't know. They've been yeah. talking about that for 30 years and I've never been that interested. Um, if it's executed well, Tony Newsom is a writer on it, which I think is interesting, but uh See to me, to me, Prodigy is Starfleet Academy. You know? Yeah, but Prodigy's like a band of lovable misfits outside the Federation. Right. But this that, is going to be like a school drama. Right. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, again, they're 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 going all levels. You know, Dave Abrams just... gave me ten minutes of Starfleet Academy, and that was enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, but I'm not saying I'm dying for it. I'm waiting for it. I'm petitioning for it. But I'd be all in for a Star Trek Legacy show. Jack Crusher still can eat a bag of dicks. I'm well, sorry. maybe he can redeem himself. It will, he's going to have to. But dude, a seven of nine is captain of the Enterprise. And I think this is such, I was saying this in season one, but what justice for Jerry Ryan, who was like dolled up as like, as just space porn when she first got this role, you know, in a suit she couldn't breathe in. 
to like she has spent three seasons. She she's like Lucy Lawless in Ash versus Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a this is about her personality. This is not about her body anymore. She's not this like aging beauty queen. You know, she doesn't have to stick her chest out. You know, she walks around in a leather jacket. It's like, and now she's the captain. I think that's just, and I'm not a Voyager fan. And I think this is just such a great arc. The one character not from Next Gen, the one legacy character they used. Um, and as as we said, I think the new characters are great. There, I think there was a good reason to only keep Raffi as the only original Picard character. And her teaming up with Worf was inspired. But to, but to only have one character from Voyager, man, they did her as much justice as the seven. Of nine, I, I'm I'm mad. I'm mad that they they couldn't bring Julian Bashir back. Come on, my boy Bashir. I wanted well. There, uh, Michelle Yeoh is doing a Section Thirty One movie. Yeah, you never know. I mean, the timeline's all wibbly wobbly. I I I want I wanted to see everybody and. Like like I said, Terry Metalis basically said we came to a choice of like four more cameos or the bridge of the D. And I was like, yeah, he made the right decision. He was like, I wanted to see O'Brien. O'Brien was a big part of both shows. Yeah, you know, I was glad to see Roe. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Wesley. Like, you know, if you're gonna shoot for the stars, why didn't Ashley Judd show up? Yeah. Although, why didn't Matt Frewer show up? <laughs> I will say this though. Too bad we didn't have Doug on afterwards, but that line. We didn't that, have Dwight Schultz. I would have loved to have seen Barkley again, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay. I think this show was such perfection. It's like that would have been nice, but it's not hurt by that. Well, they brought back the carpet, remember? They brought and they made a joke about it. They made a joke about it. Then yeah. that, that what was what were people complaining about? Shiny floors. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I missed was the carpet, and I loved Worf going like, "I like the E better." <laughs> there is such a debate on social media now of like, how come the bridge doesn't look like it was in Generations because they added extra consoles, and and, and basically everybody's answering them. It's like because nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, you know, and then Will Wheaton uh, does the. He'll, he devotes an episode of Ready Room to there's them a, there's showing a, the new the set. Yeah, there's so. a really nice segment of him with um, Michael with Kuda. Michael Kuda being walked around the bridge, and and Doug Drexler. Uh, you know, we're big fans of Doug Drexler. Man, he's posting a lot of videos and pictures of him walking around that bridge. If you want to see it, I was thinking about this this morning. They didn't have to build the ceiling, they didn't have to build the view screen, but they built. That's a I mean, that's a 360 set with lots of curves. That thing is hard. Mm-hmm. Just that horseshoe thing mm-hmm. is incredibly hard to make, you know, which is why they kept it for seven years. And then you sit there and you go, wow, when you consider that ship against now all the designs of all the other ships that we've seen since, you know, it just stands out. It just yeah. stands and out. And even then, I mean, you compare it to Voyager or the Defiant. Yeah, well, the Defiance of Bridge I always thought was underdesigned because it was, it was like we spent all our money on the station and now it's season three and we got to make a ship just throw together a bridge, mm-hmm. so it it didn't never had the attention or the budget that like Voyager had, but but you know Voyager compared to Next Generation is just it doesn't stand out as much. It just looks like a ship. And who owns the license to uh, 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 Star Trek? Because I'm telling you, you have your next. Star Trek theme ride inspiration right there. That 
that horror show of going through a desiccated Borg cube mm-hmm. and all that. Can you imagine a ride where you know you're going through that? I mean, dude, there was one in Vegas. Yes, well, I, I went saw- to Vegas. There were two rides when I went to Vegas. One was the experience where they built the whole bridge. Mm-hmm. And that is something I will take to the grave. It wasn't even the real bridge. But I got to sit in the captain's chair and have a picture taken and walk around. And then they also had a Borg experience where you, yep. you went down a hallway and Borg chased you. And then you sat in a 3D theater where like where the Borg tried to simulate you. And like wires came out and poked you in the neck. It was – and uh, Kate Mulgrew was on screen. They were fucking great. Because they were at a point where Vegas wanted to spend money and Paramount wanted to spend money. And I went there in 2006 and they closed like a year later because they weren't making Star Trek. They had canceled Enterprise. So nobody cared. And now, you know, we we interviewed. There's a guy sitting on all the stuff trying to make a museum out of it. But uh, now there's a real one. Like, save that real one. Do something Mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. Just use it in every fucking show. Have every show time travel. (laughs) That's what (laughs) Alex uh, well, you know, th- th- these days studios, I think, are a little bit better about managing that kind of stuff from from their IPs. So yeah. remember in the old days, they just okay, we don't need it anymore. They toss it. Yeah, know. they toss it, and then about 10, 15 years ago, they realized they could auction it off, yeah. which um, which is a little better because it's kind of like how IDW does those artist editions. Yeah, you just go find those people and you're like, can we borrow that back and give you a credit? Mm-hmm. You know, and then it still exists out there. It's just somebody loves it and will share it. So, yeah, uh, I fucking love this season. How about you? It was great. No, it was great. I'm telling you, it's like um, great way to end the end the series. Great way to send off a cast. It was everything you could hope for. Um, there was a lot of expectations for this this uh, last season, and uh, I can say, I mean. A couple nitpicks here and there, a little criticisms here and there. I, I think yeah, it you know, did it. It did yeah, it. Yeah, and I realize all my nitpicks are like our fan stuff or I wouldn't do it that way, which mm-hmm. I try to stay out of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I said, you know, you say Jack Crusher, Jack, Jack Crusher can suck a bag of dicks. That's your nitpick. Yeah, um, my nitpick is I don't see why the changelings would work for the Borg. Like when they revealed that, that still sat wrong with me because – it felt to me the Borg were in a weaker position than the than the founders because at the end of D Space Nine they were forced to stay in the Gamma Quadrant, and they were like they could still be in the Great Link, they could still like run run their stuff, but they couldn't come over to the Alpha Quadrant. So then to have and I know they built them up to be like these were abused, mutated guys, but it didn't sit right for me to have like the Changelings answer to the Borg. It's almost like. It's almost like the Joker saying okay to what Two-Face is asking him to do. You know, it's like, I, I get it. You're both enemies of Batman, but I don't know that one would be subservient. Yeah. And they've also left it open for the big bad that was running everything for the Changeling. He's still out there. You know? But that was the War Queen. Oh, was that the War Queen that was talking yeah. to them the whole time? Yes. In fact, I noticed when I was rewatching it, I noticed that when the, uh, the floaty goo head was yeah. talking to them, one eye was kind of covered. And ah, then good it catch. was the Borg Queen. I'll catch that on, a, on, my, on my rewatch. I've only watched uh, it. Yeah. I, I will say the rewatch is definitely worth it because there's so much mystery built in where watching the early episodes, you're like, oh, yep, that's what that means. That's what that means. And things were so well placed where it was like, there were so many things that I thought were something else that once it was revealed, I'm like, oh, I see, see exactly. I see exactly what they were leading me to and what they were misleading me to. Oh, there we go. All right. See, there we go. God damn, it was a good show. 
I agree. All right. Well, if you want to let us know what you thought of it, um, was it an embarrassment to Star Trek? Uh, what, you know, did they not show enough Bashir? Did we deserve to see a third Dax who was a Canadian actress? <laughs> you know, why didn't Cisco come out of the wormhole and stop all the ships? You know, give us your fan fiction. Why didn't the, you know, why didn't the EMH just take over the ship? Let us know. There's ways to get in touch with us. I'm at not on my book on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also follow the Facebook page, facebook.com slash caffeinated comics, where we post all the news that's fit to geek. Elliot, how do we follow you? You can find me on all the socials at Elliot Serrano, two L's, two T's, and two R's. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, although uh, I don't hang out on Twitter. I am not paying for a blue check mark. No, no thanks. Uh, also, uh, check us out on the Top Men Indie Podcast Instagram, uh, where we're, I've been posting uh, my slowly growing collection of Indiana Jones uh, props and and uh, paraphernalia. We are going to be having um, Last Crusade coming up soon, as well as uh, bringing back John Singh uh, to talk about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, but yeah, tomorrow. But somebody has to. Somebody. Hey, I, I love that movie. I still There's like it. There's things I love about that movie. Yeah. There's things I don't. <laughs> it's in, this is intolerable. Uh, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and of course, uh, uh, by the time this airs, we will have already had, or well, by the time this airs, uh, you can tune in and watch the live stream of the MCU review where we'll be talking about Avengers Endgame. If not, of course, catch the audio version here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And either way, we will talk to you next week.
Thanks again to Doug Drexler. Those were really great stories. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast. If you want to follow me, I'm at Not In My Book on Twitter and Instagram. That is the official Captain of Comics social networking feed. 